This is the Alone With Our Principles podcast, episode 18, You Can Never Go Too Far. I'm Chris. And I'm Eric, and we're both elementary school principals in the Hesperia Unified School District in Southern California. We're guest-free this week, but Chris, Carrie, and I will be discussing how we use engaging staff and student activities to help build a positive school culture. Alone With Our Principles is brought to you by Apple iPhone, because when it comes to phones, other phones are just, I can't. mess with the bull, young man. You'll get the horns. You've got a real attitude problem, McFly. You're a slacker. So far this semester, he has been absent nine times. I'm the principal, man. And we're back this week at the Third Avenue Studios here in Hesperia. So like Eric said, we don't have a guest today, so we're just going to kind of talk to each other. Hi, Carrie. How are you doing today? I am wonderful. Thank you. How are you, gentlemen? Doing good. Fantastic. It is Friday. So uh, yeah, I guess uh, we can jump right into the quiz here. Uh, We got a modified version today. Um, Instead of using our usual questions, which we've all asked and answered numerous times, uh, we've each created a question for each of the other two So I will go ahead and start with my question for Carrie. And my question for you is, would you rather have a great boss but a terrible job or a terrible boss and a great job? Okay, so a great boss, terrible job, terrible boss, great job. I, you know, of course I did a history of all the different bosses that I've had. And I try to decide like, which ones were terrible. Past, past bosses, right? <laughs> <laughs> you're off the hook on this one, Eric. Mm-hmm. Well, both of you are past bosses actually. So, well, you're current. Is there something that I don't Sorry. know? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I am the past boss. I are you allowed to be my boss in the moment when we're doing a podcast? Absolutely. Oh, so much pressure for me. Um, but Chris is a past boss. So yes. I don't want to say that either, but um, I would rather have, I think a great boss and a terrible job because in all of the time that I've worked, I've really, I think I thrive under a great boss. I think, well, I kind of want to know what a great boss is. What do you guys consider to be a great boss? Well, you've had at least two. Right. We know that for (laughs) sure. That goes without saying. Not in this room. Okay. No, I've had two great (laughs) bosses. She won't let us get away with anything. No, you both were phenomenal. Well, one of you still is phenomenal. The other one was phenomenal. That's twice now she's referred um, to me in past tense. I was kind of thinking about it from a, an educator perspective, though, because it's a little bit different. I had teams that I was on, and I really think that if I was working with a great team, I'd rather have a great team of teachers, educators to work with than have a great boss. Because as an educator, as a teacher, you sometimes end up a little bit more isolated from your principal unless there's somebody who constantly goes into the classroom seeks you out makes you a part of the class the school culture so it's really important to have a strong team and a positive team over say the boss but ideally I have found that I have had greater success in any job that I've had when I truly enjoy the company and being around my boss when I actually look to them and inspired by them it leads me to be more aspirational so that I might be able to turn that terrible job into something I truly love, like recraft it, but okay. I don't know that I can recraft the character of a boss. So I'd rather have a great boss. Okay, good question, good answer. I think you're up. Oh no. Do it's, you have a question for I me? Have, <laughs> I have a question for you, sir. And I, I'm, I'm gonna read this one, it's a little bit long, but 
that was with intention. So mm-hmm. would you rather have an inept and unwilling to become task-oriented team member with a positive attitude or a detail-oriented, highly skilled team member with a negative attitude? And be honest. This is how I feel about that question. (laughs) I just wanted to push the button. I think it's a great question because I think I've known people that fit both of those categories. I mean, I've known people, I mean, inept is a strong word, but I've, I've known people who weren't the best employees, but were such great people that they were valuable to have around from a culture perspective. And I've also known people that knew the nuts and bolts of their job inside out, could get anything done. Um, if you needed something that you needed to accomplish quickly, go right to them. They might complain about it the whole time. They might be difficult to deal with, but at the end of the day... Uh, they got the job done. So good luck, Eric, with this one. I'm glad it's for you, not for me. <laughs> and I'm letting you know neither one of these describe me, right? No, okay. absolutely not. Uh, you know, if the measure of a great question is a question that is extremely difficult to answer, then you've got a winner. Yes. Uh, because I, I've thought about this one extensively, and even with the answer I'm going to give, I'm not 100% sold on it because it's it's challenging. And so if you think about it from the perspective of working in education like we do, um, you know, and working with kids, attitude is everything. Having a positive attitude is extremely important. And I know for me personally, I am somebody who thrives in that positive space and thrives when I'm surrounded by people that are positive and encouraging and supportive and fun and all of those things you can associate with having a positive attitude. Uh, However, inept is a strong word, Carrie. Um, Inept means incapable without any expectation to grow in any way at all, ever. Um, and unwilling. So we're talking about somebody who lacks will and also lacks the skill to perform in their given position. So reminding you that this was not remotely written about me. See, Eric, Eric could have jumped in there and said, no, Carrie, this wasn't written <laughs> about you because you're an inept person with a negative <laughs> attitude, which you are not. Oh. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Good thing you have a sense of humor. <laughs> I got your back, Eric. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, I... Gosh, you know, but also on the on the flip side of that, you know, when we're working with kids, we want the best and most talented people to serve our kids in the best way possible. So, you know, if, if I was if I was held at gunpoint and forced to choose, I want somebody who is the most skilled to do the job in whatever role that they're assigned in. Um, but they have to do it with a good attitude. Otherwise, you can't connect with kids if you don't have a positive attitude. So I'm that's kind of an answer, non-answer. But, you know, if I was pressed, I'd have to lean towards having somebody highly skilled because it takes somebody highly skilled to meet the diverse needs of all of our kids. And you just figure you'd have a way to uh, either have them not impact the culture of your school or bring them along at some point. How can we do it in a way that 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 attitude is going to be isolated because we know that ne- that attitudes can spread um, and, and, and be infectious in a good way and a not so good way. So, yeah, yeah how do you isolate that negativity and still allow them to perform? All right, my turn. And, and, and I thought long and hard about this one, so I'm curious to see what you have to okay. say. <laughs> Chris, would you rather have a rewind button or a pause button on your life? All right, I have a couple of clarifying questions right out of the gate. Uh, let's talk about the pause button first. Um, what's going on while my life is paused? Can I interact with the world? Like uh, the episode of The Twilight Zone where the guy had the stopwatch. Um, and he stopped the world, but he could interact with it. Would I still be able to do that with the pause button? Yes. Okay. Now you choose, you choose when to pause. Obviously. Okay, but I could pause and then I could interact with the rest of the world as it's still paused? You could not interact. You could observe. The world oh. would continue on. 
as if you weren't there, if that makes sense. I'm not sure it does, but anyway. Um, so George Bailey, the world paused and nobody knew who he was because he ceased to exist in that moment. Oh, okay. That's, that's a little different. I, I thought like I'd be able to put the world on a freeze frame because the, the potential for practical jokes in that scenario was enormous. Um, all right. So that kind of answers my question on the pause button. Now the rewind button. So let's say I rewind when I p- hit play again, do I, am I just reliving the moment as it was, or can I change what happened the previous time? No, I think if we're following the, the rules of rewinding, uh, you know, you rewind because you wanted to re-experience something just as okay. it was, not necessarily do something different. Okay. So, all right. So I can't change things. Um, I would just re-experience the good moments. Correct. Right. So how far back can I go? Can I go back a day? Can I go back to when I was 13? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I go back as far as I want. So when I relive that experience, can I then fast forward? Or if I go back to when I'm 15, do I now have to relive the next 40 years of my life again? This was supposed to be a question for you, not, not a right. quiz for me. Well, <laughs> well, I need to know the parameters of the question. All right. I think you've given me enough. I hope uh, so. To where, all right. I think I, he's asking for a fast forward button as well. Or at least a reset. You sure what, you don't want to re- uh, eject? You want the eject button? It's kind well? of kind of the same thing. Okay. To where, like, so let's say I go back to relive a moment when I'm 22 years old. Not that I have one in mind, but so I'm 22 years old. I relive that day. Can I then hit either fast forward or reset to come back to present day, or do I have to live through my 30s, 40s, 50s, and experience all of that again? Because that changes my answer. Yeah. So, incredibly. So we'll just say that you can rewind to a specific moment in time, experience that moment in time and then immediately go back to present day. Oh yeah. I want the rewind button then. No question. Sure. Okay. So so it's sort of, because I was going to go down the whole groundhog day thing. If I could change how, what I did during that time, then I've got basically groundhog day under my own control, which would be awesome. Sure. But, but even so I would love to have the ability to relive selected uh, moments of my life, even if I couldn't change them. How many of those moments would probably be involving baseball? Uh, At least a couple. Well, see, not being able to change them. (laughs) I mean, no, there, there's a lot, a lot of great moments that, I, that I've had that I would love to live over again and, and plenty that I wouldn't. So, all right, well, that was a good question, Eric. Thank you for that. And now I've got one. We'll bounce it right back around to you. My question for you is, would you rather be known for being a great leader or a great teammate? Oh, wow. That's deep. Absolutely. I like it. Great leader or great teammate. Well, you know what? When I think about uh, a leader versus a teammate, the first thing that comes to mind is, I've always kind of seen them synonymous. I knew you were going to say that. I had no doubt that that's where you were going to go. That's great. You know, trying to be uh, whatever, you know, leadership is a position. It's also an action. So anybody on a team can be a leader, uh, depending on the time, the circumstance and, and, you know, their abilities. But um, honestly, if I think about like the legacy I want to leave, uh, I want to be both. I want to be, you know, somebody who was part of a team that was doing something great um, and being that leader that everybody needs at the time that they need it. Um, but ultimately, I, you know, so if I had to choose, I'd probably say a great teammate because yeah. I think that encompasses both. It doesn't surprise me. Good choice. All right, Carrie, we're coming back to you now. And I, I think I got a good one for you. And those that know you will, will agree, I'm sure. Uh, Carrie, would you rather have a dog with a cat's personality or a cat with a dog's personality? <laughs> I am a dog person. Um, I absolutely love dogs. I love that dogs come in all shapes and sizes and they have, they don't just have like a fur change. 
They have like a whole body type change. Their legs are different sizes. Their tails are different sizes. Their feet are different sizes. Like teeth can also be different sizes as I've learned because I've been bit a couple times. Um, absolutely. I do like a cat's personality as well. So I'm going with dog with a cat's personality. Many people will tell you that my dog is, she behaves kind of like a cat. She used to sit in the window. Um, she'd sit on her couch, my couch, look out the window, and then she would literally just stalk the squirrels and just watch back and forth. And to me, that's more like a cat. Yeah, you know, that's a dog mm -hmm. doing that. <laughs> yeah, so um, I absolutely love that uh, cats kind of, they make you earn their love a little bit more than dogs. So I'd be okay with having to earn an animal's love. You know, dogs just kind of, don't love anybody. Um, I met your dog and I would disagree. Oh, yeah. No, your dog was in the studio with us a couple episodes ago. And yeah. You do realize that my dog's like a foot off the ground. Her legs are. She was in a stroller. She would definitely. So again, I, I was. Uh, I think my dog we is. Almost level. <laughs> I think my dog has a, a lot of cat tendencies, a lot of dog tendencies. A lot of my friends say that my dog has. It tends to seem very human. And I don't know if that's because she has that personality, she exudes that, or if I treat her human-like. Um, but I have no shame in my <laughs> dog game. go back game. to what I said a minute ago. She had a stroller. She has a stroller. Um, I know that these things hurt your heart when I tell you she has a neurologist. Um, she <laughs> currently is, um, sees an eye specialist. Yes, this is true. Mm -hmm. um, I love my dog enough to give her her two daily doses of insulin and um, her other medications as well to help her get through every day. She's amazing. Let's be honest, Carrie. You've been assigned as her emotional support human, <laughs> haven't you? Yes. <laughs> it's a mutual relationship of emotional support. <laughs> I will not lie. Carrie's dog is gorgeous. For those that don't know, let me see if I got it right. Karen Terrier? Yes. She is a Toto. Yes. Okay. Um, she's absolutely beautiful, but she is mean. She is She's mean. Spicy. The first time I saw your dog, she tried to eat my foot. <laughs> All I did was get out of the car and she came at me like a spider monkey. It was. I believe she senses that you're the reason I leave every day because you make me go to work. If we ever start titling our podcast episodes after something clever that was said during that episode, which I think we might want to at some point, she came at me like a spider monkey would be the go. name of this episode. <laughs> Emmy came at me like a spider monkey. Emmy May. Emmy, Emmy May. May. Yes, sir. All right. I'm next. So I get to ask Chris a question. Okay. My turn. I get yes. to ask Chris a question. And being that I've known you for as long as I have, and being that you as my boss, we put on talent shows and I got to see how musically inclined you were and how you have a huge love for music. And then I think about your love of storytelling. I wanted to ask this question. Okay. Would you rather lose the ability to play music or lose the ability to tell a good story? Oh, man. Well, I definitely would have answered that question differently when I was in college. When I was playing music every day, when I was playing trumpet um, in jazz band, that was that was my whole life. I mean, I spent, if I wasn't in a rehearsal, I was practicing, and, and my whole life revolved around that. And if you had asked me then, what if you were to lose this ability? No, there's there's no way. That was That was part of my identity at the time. As time has gone on, my ability has... Well, decrease. So losing the current, my, losing my current ability to play the trumpet isn't losing a heck of a lot, to be honest with you. And when I got out of college, um, and I think I've I've talked about this a little bit on the podcast before, I was 
kind of like a medium-sized fish in a very large pond when I went to college at Cal State Los Angeles. Uh, they had a great jazz program, and several of the musicians that I played with in that band have gone on to amazing careers in the music field. We had a trombone player who is currently, I think, or at least up till very recently, was playing with Phil Collins. Another one of the trombone players uh, is still in Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. Um, most of the musicians in that band, I would say, are at least, I shouldn't say at least, are either music educators or professional musicians. I'm one of the exceptions in that I went into a different field. So at this point, I think I would need to keep the ability to be a good storyteller because that comes in, first of all, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I love just sitting around with people and telling a good story and listening to a good story. And that skill, if we're calling it that, definitely comes into play as a leader at a school or as a leader in any way, shape, or form because, uh, well, actually, I read a book not too long ago called Lead with a Story by Paul Smith. And it's a great book, and he tells different stories of leaders that have incorporated their own true stories into leadership lessons. So I think to, I, would, I would rather keep that ability. So to answer your question, as much as it pains me, I would lose my ability to play music because truth being told, I'm not really that good at it anymore. So um, yeah, I'm glad I still have both. I disagree. I've heard you play music. He still has it. He That's what you're it. saying. Well, you didn't hear me 40 years ago, 35 years ago. But anyway, those of you that did, I know I wasn't that great then. But anyway, thank you. So far this semester, he has been absent nine all right, so that brings us into the kind of the meat of our, our conversation today. As we said when we kicked off this uh, episode, we wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about something that I know is very near and dear to all of our hearts, and that is, um, you know, ways in which we capture and engage our staff and our students and our, our, our school community for that matter. So um, I wanted to spend a little time with both of you talking about some of your thoughts and your beliefs and opinions on ways to do that, things that you've done that are you found successful on engaging staff and uh, students. And um, so... Uh, Chris, I'm going to start with you. Yeah. Maybe, uh, you want to talk me, just talk about some of the ways or, or things that you've done or, or ideas you've had and ways you engage your staff. Yeah, I think it's really important to create activities and events that go beyond just the instructional day that are going to incorporate fun and incentives and all kinds of things that are going to really give your school, first of all, its own unique identity and ways for students who might not be as successful in the classroom other ways for them to connect with the school and the community. And that goes for staff members and that goes for parents as well. One of the things that I've done uh, with our staff and with our teams at every school that I've been at so far is we've created an awards ceremony at the end of the year uh, for our staff members. And that came up, uh, well, I first kind of got the idea from the, from the ESPYs. Uh, you know, you watch it. Oh, yeah, sure. uh, you know, yeah. they, every year they have sports awards and they have all different categories and everybody gets dressed up and they give out awards for things that aren't necessarily just about performance on the field or the court or on the ice or whatever. So I wanted to do something like that that would honor our staff members, because in our district, as both of you know, at the end of every year or at the beginning of the next year, we have our employees of the year and every school site and the district office selects one teacher of the year and one classified support person of the year. And, you know, we thought at, uh, you know, when I was a principal at Carmel, uh, my first principal job, we thought, well, we want to recognize more people than that. I mean, we don't want to just limit it to two people a year that get some kind of recognition. So ha keeping the ESPYs in mind or the Oscars or the Grammys, that type of event, we wanted to do something like that for our staff. And we created 
15 different categories, uh, upper grade teacher of the year, outstanding support person, positive attitude, things that are authentic, um, real life awards. Not like, you know, either of you watch The Office? A little bit. Yeah. Early in season one, Michael Scott holds what he calls the Dundee Awards. And on my honor, I had not seen The, the Office until long after this. And the Dundee Awards are given for things that aren't quite so noble. Um, I won't necessarily go into some of the awards here, but they bordered on or they were inappropriate. The awards that we gave for our staff are very authentic for real life things. And it was, it was funny, my wife and I were watching the office episode called the Dundies and she had known that we had been doing our staff awards for years and years and years and called them when we were the coyotes it was the yodi awards or when we were the uh, the cougars it was the coogie awards given that kind of name after the espies so we're sitting watching the dundee awards and i could again feel my wife's eyes looking at me and you know staring at me as michael scott is presenting the first dundee for uh to the guy who had made the biggest mess in the restroom and he got an actual award for that. So Teresa's looking at me, and I didn't even look back at her. I said, the Yodi Awards are authentic and real. It's not the same thing. Um, but Michael Scott sometimes sits a little closer to home than I'm willing to admit <laughs> in certain scenarios. But anyway, so when we have that uh, event at the end of the year, the staff gets dressed up. They bring spouses and significant others. Uh, we have it catered so that everybody gets a nice dinner. And we add presenters from... Uh, the district and from the community to give out the awards. And it's just a great night to celebrate education, to celebrate each other. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, I think it's, it's gone over fairly well in the district. I know Carrie, in fact, I think both of you have been part of it yeah. uh, at various times. And it's something that, that, you know, I know I look forward to every year because we truly do get to recognize greatness uh, on our staff and on our teams. Well, that's something truly unique. Yeah. Nothing else like, at least that I know of around. So. I have not gotten rid of any of my awards from those nights. I still have, and it's absolutely one of my favorites, um, a most student-centered teacher. That meant a lot to me as somebody right. who was focused on students. So I appreciate that because your staff voted on it. So it was your yeah. colleagues noticing something, noticing your work. So I've always valued that. Yeah, and that's that's the whole point of it. I'm glad you brought that up, Carrie. All the awards are selected by uh, by your peers. Uh, it's not something that that me or the assistant principal and I sit down and decide who we want to give it to because that could create a whole different not mm -hmm. so positive approach but it is things that are voted on or selected by everyone at large prior to you putting that in place at, at cottonwood i remember struggling with the whole teacher of the year idea because it because of the way it was voted necessarily kept thinking gosh i really wish students got to vote too and so it's one of those things where i've always i value the idea of earning the respect of the kids right. as much as the colleagues or maybe a little bit more. But sometimes the way the, the teacher of the year or the classified staff of the year doesn't always necessarily ring true sometimes, it seems like, because not everybody participates in the vote. But for some reason, it seemed like there was a lot of buy-in for that staff night, maybe because it was more focused on like a family perspective. I don't know what it was, but it just seemed like we had a higher turnout of voters if that makes sense. Yeah, well, and also um, this actually we implemented after you had left, I think, and gone on to, to a different school. We, we did add an award called the Student's Choice Award where we did a poll and a survey of our fourth, fifth, and sixth grade students, and they got to select the staff member, and it could be anybody that had had a positive impact on them. So we, we did bring that into play a little bit later on. I appreciate that. love that idea. Great stuff. Carrie, how about you? Do you have a, an idea you'd like to share about a way that you've, you've been involved in engaging the staff uh, at a school site? 
So one of the things that I valued is that not only recognizing teacher, certificated staff, but also recognizing classified staff. And I know that classified staff sometimes feels like they're forgotten. And, and I've witnessed that a couple times um, throughout my career. And so I, I really value the idea of making sure that you're honoring all, all of your staff. And um, I worked with a principal who created events for not only like once a year, like a gift of time idea, where like around the holiday, around Christmas, the winter break, you bring all your certificated teachers together and you have them engage in different games and competitions against each other. And the teams are, are made up randomly so that they're engaging with each other and um, learning more about each other outside of their grade level. That's pretty common. I think a lot of principals do that. But on top of that, it created a gift of time for classified staff as well. And on Wednesdays, which are um, in our district, often the PLC, our professional learning com uh, community meetings, um, the teachers are usually bogged down with, you know, standards, creating lessons for kids. And then um, classified staff often has to do prep work for the teachers and support the teachers in different ways like that, or they get to um, leave. <laughs> so um, uh, the one principal, um, Tom Kirk, he actually made a point to organize games for our classified in the same way that we did for certificated. And so they those games were organized in a way that they were for some reason, cross-pollinating. <laughs> for some reason, it's coming up. But, you know, our proctors don't always okay. get to... I know, weird, right? Our proctors don't always get to engage in conversations with um, some of our instructional assistants throughout the campus. And when you have an event like that, when you have a competition like that, and it's during their work time, right, but there's no students, it allows them to be honored in a way and recognized in a way that, hey, we see you and we want you to enjoy this site and this campus with us as much as anybody else. You made a great point there, Carrie, that I kind of like to um, elaborate on a little bit more. No, no, uh, the importance of including everybody because, you know, I don't want to say it's nothing is easy, but it's more natural sometimes to create events surrounding the students or the teachers uh, and at least speaking for myself, involving our classified staff because they have different schedules a lot of the time. I have to be very intentional about making sure to reach out uh, and include all of our classified staff and at least give them the opportunity to participate. Uh, otherwise, events such as an awards night or the gift of time, if you're not including everybody, it can create an even uh, further divide when your classified staff kind of sees, well, look at all the things that the kids mm -hmm. and, the, and the teachers are getting that we're not. So it's really important to be inclusive of everyone with the opportunity to participate in these, uh, these extra events. It might seem weird, but there was a, a time on campus where because of the way, I know a lot of people do food on Fridays or do food on Thursdays for the, the staff. And a lot of times because of the way um, instructional assistants or classified staff schedule works. So they might come in after all the food's been served and they run out of food. And I found that that was one of those things like, okay, how can we still honor the staff members that, you know, the food has disappeared for? So there were many times when we were on a mad rush to go gather more food. So even making sure that when you run short on supplies, you double check that and make sure everybody's covered, I think right. is really important. What about you, Eric? What's uh, one of your events or activities that you've been particularly proud of over the years? Uh, you know, I, I was thinking about this a lot. I, I, I kind of generated a list in my head because, you know, right now in this pandemic, there's been, it's been so different and trying to find ways to do that. It's yeah. much more challenging. 
Um, but I'll just share something that I, I'm, I'm kind of proud of that, that Carrie and I participated in earlier this year, feeling so disconnected to all our staff, classified and certificated, and not being able to see people and knowing the, um, the, the trauma that this particular pandemic has caused for not just students, but staff as well. Uh, we decided that we wanted to um, recognize our staff. And so what we did was we created um, these, they kind of look like your, you know, your political yard sign that someone would stick in their yard, right. vote for so-and-so. But um, we had one for certificated staff, one for classified staff. And we actually spent, oh gosh, a week or two and we actually hand delivered one Deliver to, them to their every houses? single house. I, well, I shouldn't say every single house. There was we, we, we hit some some roadblocks, mm-hmm. literally in some literally. <laughs> but um, we certainly made the effort to deliver to every single home of every single staff. And we did it together. Mm-hmm. So over multiple days, we loaded up, we got in the car, and we mapped it out. And we carry went down the hill a couple different times. And um, the the feedback and the response we got from staff was incredibly positive, and, and they were truly grateful because it was an act of service. It wasn't right. just a trinket or, or a gift of some kind. It was something, and I know many of them still have those proudly displayed yeah. in their yards. And, and it's not about the sign. I mean, the signs right. are nice, but it's about the gesture. And that things like that go so far uh, with our staff. And I know that you know we appreciate it as administrators when we get acknowledged by parents or teachers or, or our bosses. That's always, it's always great. And it's just, yeah, sometimes it's, that's, you guys drove all over the place. That's amazing. We had to visit a couple places more than once because you really have to time getting into an apartment as a surprise, getting through that gate or getting through a, um, a community where I'm trying to think, you know, like a HOA where they have the gates up okay. for the different houses. You have to plant right so you can sneak in. So there were several times, <laughs> several, several facilities that I had to go back to. And um, probably one of my my oh man was I finally just had to reach out to one of the teachers like you need you need to either come outside or let me in. So but it was really sweet because she's a first year teacher and she was out that gate ready to pick it up like nobody's business. So it was really cute to see the that. one teacher that like called us as we were sneaking in her yard calls and says, why are you guys in my front yard? <laughs> <laughs> At that point, it was worth it. Because... That would have been a really interesting thing to explain to a police officer that showed up for a trespass. No, we're not taking anything we're leaving the sign here we're leaving it we're leaving it right so another uh another event uh it's actually a series of events that i wanted to talk about too and i know i think you guys do the same thing i know that you have at previous schools that you've been at um events that are built around our student incentive and it's an idea that i got from a assistant principal that was working in the district at the same time uh that i was an assistant principal Uh, and it was designed to create incentives for kids, and then at the end of uh, end of the quarter or end of a six-week period, there would be some culminating event. And what we wanted to make sure that we did was not tie it too closely to grades. And I know initially that sounds like, well, wait a minute, grades are important. Grades are very important, and we acknowledge those and celebrate those in different ways. But for the um, for using an overall school-wide incentive, we wanted it to be accessible to kids who were doing their best. So if kids were trying really, really hard and their best was a C student or best was a B student, we didn't want them to be penalized for that. We wanted them to be able to participate. So we built the program around attendance, around behavior, and around uh, work habits, attitude, effort, things like that that the kids are completely in control of. And at the end of the six-week period, they would get uh, a tag to wear, but then we would schedule some kind of fun, crazy event. And those were... Um, my favorites, we did a bunch of them over the years, but my favorites were the Sledgematic, uh, which was created by Gallagher, and where basically one of our teachers, who was really good at woodworking, built a gigantic hammer 
and a platform. And at the end of the six weeks, we'd have all the kids out on the playground and we would be smashing watermelons and apples. You know what, you know what flies really well? You wouldn't think about it, but mustard, if you take a, a thing of French's mustard and you hit it just the right way, we must've gotten a stream of mustard that went about 25 to 50 feet in the air. It was one of those, I hit it and it was like, what happened? And then 1001, 1002, and then just splattered right in front of me. Um, flour was disappointing. Ooh. Well, I, I bought a bag of the gold medal flour and wound up. I'm expecting now. What are you picturing? You hit the bag of flour and you just get this a giant poof of poof. white uh, yes. everywhere. That's what I was expecting. And of course, doing the whole build up with the kids. Now we're going to hit the flour, stand back. And I hit it and it just thump. Nothing. <laughs> well, it's funny, you know, because I, I uh, have borrowed the Sledgematic on multiple occasions at two different school sites now. And, uh, you know, Gallagher's whole shtick was uh, watermelons, right? That was like mm-hmm. his grand finale. Yeah. And, and watermelons, too, are kind of anticlimactic. It's yeah. not as exciting as the, the tube of jelly or the mustard or even a bottle of water, just smashing a go bottle of water. And just because the bigger and farther the mess went, the more excited the kids Co- get. Cotton of cartage. Of, a, say that five times. A cotton of, <laughs> a cotton of cartage cheese. A cotton of cottage cheese is, is pretty intense uh, as well. But a lesson that I learned very early on in the sledgematic years was if you have a sealed bottle, like a bottle of ketchup, your instinct is to point the sealed end out. But what I didn't realize until I had ruined a couple of shirts was that the sealed end is way more sturdy than the the bottom, than the bottom Mm. of the bottle. So I just hit a ketchup bottle full tilt and it just shot right back on me. It it looked like a scene from one of those um, true crime podcasts that you listen to, Carrie. Uh, it, It looked pretty horrific. Um, Kids but, were scared instead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but, Mr. Mogger. He should have just. He should have just <laughs> dropped to the floor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Another valuable lesson that I learned was when you're going to do sledgematic, give the parents a heads up ahead of time that they should send their kids in not their best clothes. Um, I did get a phone call one year from an angry parent that um, was upset that her daughter's new uh, Sunday shirt had mustard all over it. Um, so yeah, that was, that wasn't good, but sledgematic was fun. Another one that we've done is, uh, the flush tank. Love that one because there's a rule in our school from our wonderful risk management department that doesn't let us use traditional dunk tanks where you sit on the platform and people throw baseballs and you hit the target and the, you know, you know, the type, the, the platform drops out and you get, apparently they're death traps. Apparently we're not allowed to use that. So I think the way that was put is you can't have something where somebody drops into the tank of water. I said, okay, I can go with that. So instead, one of our teachers, in fact, the same teacher, I'll give him a shout out, Dave Olson, great teacher, still in the district. Um, the same, the same teacher that built the sledgematic also built us the flush tank. And what the flush tank was, it's a, it's, um, a triangular shaped, almost like, um, a lean to, or, um, anyway, it's a structure that you can sit underneath and at the very top on a platform was mounted an actual full-size toilet. So instead of the victim falling into the water, water flushed on to the victim. So the, the kids would throw the ball, hit the target, the toilet would flush, and the water would dump down on the person sitting below. And that was fun for a hot day. Uh, the kids like to uh, obviously see their teachers getting soaked. And there was one day, I think I remember it was like in the low 50s, and the water coming out of that tank was so cold. Um, but it was a lot of fun. 
Uh, so you know, those are a couple of them we've, um, we've done plenty. We've done Fear Factor, all kinds of those activities. I have participated in all three of those, and my favorite was the flush tank. I like that one. That one, the kids loved the flush tank, and you were drenched. I still have pictures from that one that I will probably never get rid of. But I, was, I wasn't as smart as some teachers, but I was smart enough to put a hat on so that when the water did come through the um, what's a ceiling but the base of the toilet, um, you know, I, I I survived a little bit. Like I, my eyes were protected, but I think some teachers sometimes went out in goggles and. What's some of the best outfits you've seen for teachers or staff members? Oh, um, one of our secretaries one year went out in full scuba gear. Uh, the big flippers and the snorkel and the mask. Uh, that was great. Somebody else came out with one of those inflatable rubber ducks around their waist. It was it was a lot of fun. Carrie, and if you have, if you, do you still have that picture you sent? I'm sure I if have If you could send somewhere. that to me, I'll post that on our Facebook page. Uh, I will so, search for it. So our listeners can see exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> Eric's just shaking his head. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, I know that you've done these things or similar I've ones. never did the flush tank. Uh, the sledgematic was tons of fun. Um, you know, I've had my head shaved uh, for kids. You should try that one. Yeah, it's not as much of an incentive for it's, our kids. It's good fun. <laughs> I, I've had my head shaved. I uh, tried to get Miss Foraker to join me on that one. She wasn't going no, for it. No, nothing. Um, but, the Fear uh, Factor one Fear factor. is food, though. Yeah. Like, it's not I'm jumping off the roof of the building or, you know, I don't know what Smoothie other... Smoothie of doom, I think we called it. it. Yeah. Horrible. That's what I, we did. I, horrible. I've had people vomiting, and it was, it was great. No. <laughs> I, I, I didn't realize the first year that I... I participated in fear factor was also my last year of participating in fear factor but that first year I didn't realize that some of the teachers were drinking out of styrofoam cups that you couldn't see through and they were really kind of pretending to be drinking some oh, of the scary stuff cheating. is what I was told completely oh, cheating no I did not know that you could cheat or nor did I think to cheat because I'm trying to honor That's the not kids your personality Carrie. and and um I drank the it was Horrible pickled beets, old coffee, uh, sardine, <laughs> mustard, and hot sauce. And I have never forgotten it. And I have always said, I now know what it's like to actually drink a cup of vomit. And it stayed with me. So that was the last yeah. time. Uh, we did a mission <laughs> crest. We had all those things and we also added worms. We actually didn't use uh, worms. We never yeah. did. We always like did actual worms? food. Yeah. Gummy no, worms? No. Please do gummy worms. Real worms. Don't hurt. Don't hurt. No, it was real like worms. That. But one of the other things that, um, you know, having my head shaved, being decorated like a Christmas tree, um, you know, way back at Eucalyptus having, uh, you know, getting together with the principal for March to a million. And when the kids read a million minutes doing a Napoleon dynamite dance, um, oh, I remember you know, that. the more ridiculous, the more crazy, more Atlantish, um, the kids loved it. Um, you know, one of the things that we've done with some of those events we're talking about is actually having the kids choose what we can, yeah. what we want to do and you know, the way to give the kids a voice and actually mm -hmm. see what they want to see. And, and, and if, you know, giving them uh, some options that are realistic and then letting them choose. That's been fun too. And I guess, and I just thought of this at this moment, because I have heard, uh, I don't know so much in our district, but from other principals that, that I've heard speaking, they frown upon things like that because they, you know, and I guess I understand the point of view. I don't know that I share it and that as administrators, it's a position of dignity and we shouldn't let the kids see us. Um, have they not been to a management meeting? Well, no, no, I'm like, is it not an art? Yeah, right. But, but no, I, th I think it's, it's worth at least, and I know we're all on the same page, but it's worth at least kind of discussing because I do understand the point of view, uh, where we shouldn't be seen having pies thrown in our face or having a toilet flushed on our head or whatnot. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I've got my own thoughts, but I want to hear what you think. I have an interesting goal. So when I, when I look at planning events, 
I try to figure out a way to make them very student-involved and student-centered. So I typically tend to plan those events out instead of students being participants from the audience as much, um, which sometimes I know um, in the way that you do them, that that's very successful in networks. But I definitely try to approach things from how many kids can I get involved and how can I get them to be a part of it. So for for us, some of the most successful ones I think have been like ones where we run centers where the students have actually told us what they're interested in. And then we just plan this like whole event with all these different outside centers and events and raffles and whatnot happening in a way to honor them. Um, those seem to go over really well. Um, so for me, I kind of feel like, and I'm hoping I might have to go back to your question, but I, I, for me, when I'm looking at honoring kids, I want them in, involved in it as much as possible. When it comes to, do I have to be a dignified person because of my position and honor in order to honor kids? I'm kind of curious what dignified means, because if I'm not willing to get down to earth with my students, am I truly being dignified? Am I honoring and, and showing them dignity? If I'm acting like I'm above them and I'm in a position where I can't get involved with you and get, you know, paint on me as well and get whipped cream from a pie in my face as well, I, I kind of question whether or not I'm really honoring you as a dignified person and an equal of, oh. uh, to me. Did I get, did I take care of all of that? Yeah, no, that was, that was, <laughs> that was good. And, and I think, you know, to me, it, it comes back to authenticity. If it's, you know, if it's within your personality to do those fun, goofy, outlandish kind of things, I think it's fine. If I wouldn't recommend it to a principal that felt like they were faking it, you know, if, if it wasn't who they really were, I, I would still ask that they consider doing something that they were comfortable with that would still be fun and engaging with the kids. Um, but was, I don't know, because yeah. I, heard, I heard that. And when I heard somebody say that, it, it legitimately did make me think. It's like, wow, am, am I being perceived that way? But I've honestly, having done these things, I've never felt like it impacted negatively on how, how I was viewed by our staff or our kids. It's never been a question for me because, you know, one of the things we know about, about kids is it all comes down to connection. Right. And we want our kids to connect with our school, engage with our staff. And um, connection comes oftentimes through experiences. And, and those are the things that kids will remember. Those are the things that kids will come to me. Very true. You know, years later, like, I remember when you smashed that watermelon. I remember when you took that pie in the face and it was awesome. And, and I am willing to do <laughs> And, and, and I don't even agree with the, with the notion that, you know, what's your comfort level? Because I get out of my comfort zone all the time because that's how I grow. And if I'm only willing to do the things that make me comfortable, then I'm, I'm not growing. And I'm also not modeling that for the rest of my staff. So I've got to get out of my comfort zone and do things like podcasts and do things like <laughs> sm you know, smashing yeah. watermelons and doing skits and, and talent shows in front of kids because that's what they remember. That's what they love. And they get more connected with that. Kind of well, stuff. and for things like karaoke day, uh, that we, another one that we've done is... I find that to be brutal. Scares well, me. Right, and that's, I think, where Eric was going with that. If, if we can, you know... I, I know that I'm not a great singer, um, but I, I have no problem getting up in front of kids and attempting to sing, you know, Bon Jovi or Kiss or anything like that, you know, because they should they should see a struggle. And you know what I've told teachers is, well, I'm not a good singer. It's like, that's all right. How many times do you ask your students to do something that they're not good at yet? There's there's a difference, though, between the on that scale of singing, you know, Mariah Carey to way down in the middle there somewhere where I'm not a good singer. And then there's that people actually stop and ask you not to sing. And that's where <laughs> I'm at. So that will not be my forte at all. 
please don't sing. Or when you're driving and you're, you start to sing because you forget where you're at and whoever's in the car with you, all of a sudden they reach over and they grab the little knob to turn up the volume and all of a sudden you're drowned out. You know that you're not meant to sing. Now my brother That's had a great me. line for that. Like I'll be singing something, you know, along with the radio <laughs> and he'll go, who sings that song? And I'll go, Foo Fighters. He goes, yeah, let them. Mm-mm-mm. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Are you a singer, Eric? I feel like I you're not. I love to sing. Do you? I, I, I don't have any talent in that area. But yeah, when when I'm in my car and I'm listening to a song I like, absolutely. Yeah. What's your go-to karaoke song? If you if you could get up at a karaoke place, so what what song would you go to? Oh gosh, I don't know. You know, I, I did do karaoke once. I did uh, American Pie. Oh, there you go. That's which, a which long is song too. It's like an eight That's song. a long yeah. one. Yeah. There Mine, are two things that I will not ever be given enough money for. Jumping out of a plane, loved rock climbing, will not jump out of a plane, and you could not pay me enough to to sing for for people on a stage. There's just no way. Now, what would it cost to get you to jump out of a plane while singing karaoke? I would recommend <laughs> I would recommend Tom Pre- Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers Free Fallen. Would, would be a great one to do. Perfect. So, mine is uh you'd think it would be something 80s or old school, but actually the song that I can do the best rendition of is Three Doors Down, Kryptonite. Mm-hmm. Uh, that seems to be right in my limited vocal range. Uh, not too high, not too low. So I can I can get away with that one. I think we've done that one. Mm-hmm. At, whatever at vocal before. range, no, whatever vocal range is supposed <laughs> to be, look like, sound like, it is not me. I'm the principal, man. All right. So today we're going to try something new. We have a new segment we would like to share with our podcast listeners out there. And this segment is called The Kids Want to Know. All right. So for this particular segment, we have three kids joining us today. We have Jacob, Katrina, and Olivia. And each of them have prepared a question they would like to ask the three of us. So, Olivia, why don't you go first? What question do you have for the podcast today? What is your favorite food? Our favorite food. Oh, wow, that's a great question. All right, I'll, I'll start with that. Okay. Um, I've got a couple, but, you know, obviously the first answer that I have is a cheeseburger. I'll take a good cheeseburger any day of the week. It doesn't even really matter where it's from. I've got my favorites. I like In-N-Out Burger. I like Five Guys. Um, but a good cheeseburger and fries. Uh, as Matthew McConaughey, the actor... Uh, famously said, all right, all right, all right, right, all right, all right. The man who invented the hamburger was smart. The man who invented the cheeseburger was a genius. So that's my answer to that is a a good cheeseburger is my favorite food. I, you know, and and for me, it's kind of i I'm going to go with anything in the Mexican food category. Um, anybody that knows me knows I love a good cheeseburger, but, um, you want to throw at me some carne asada, some chili verde, a good burrito, beans and rice. I can live off of that. And so, uh, yeah, and I love eating and I love cooking it too. So, Miss Lewis, how about you? I love potatoes. I used to tell my students when I was a teacher, I would eat French fries every morning on my way to work. And I would tell the students if I didn't have time to get them, I would stand on my ramp and say, Oh, guys, I didn't have my French fries. <laughs> French fries is a better answer to that question than potatoes. I, That's true. Because I, mean, I picture you just sitting there peeling a potato and just eating it raw. I mean, Not raw, but if you could put a potato inside a tortilla, I'm in heaven. Or potato tacos, fantastic. Those would be uh, called patacos. One admittance to this, the or kids. Or totatoes. <laughs> No, and I apologize right now to all the lovers of tater tots. That is the only kind of potato anything that I do not care for. And yeah, that's how do you look not like potato? How do you not like tater, tater tots? tots? I don't like tater tots, but all all things else, potato are the most amazing food ever created. 
Yeah. I, I don't disagree, but like Chris said, start with French fries, then work into potatoes. Right. Yeah. No, I like no, potatoes. No. It's like, <laughs> no, right. it's the French fries, not my number one. I, I genuinely love potato bur- burrito. It's the best. Taco, potato taco second. Fries are a nice accompaniment to almost everything. Or yeah. potato chip. Come on. Oh, now. yeah. There you go. There you go. Potato chips. All right. Great, great question, Olivia. Thank, Thank you, you Olivia. For that one. Um, I, Jacob, I think you're up next. You have a question for the podcast today? Yes, I do. Why did you choose your last car that you bought? Oh, wow. Why did you choose the last car you bought? Oh, that's interesting. Why don't you start, Carrie? It was affordable. <laughs> <laughs> I, knew, I knew that uh, I just wanted a car that could get by until I can get my dream car. I'm looking at the Jeep and I'm looking at the, the Ford Bronco Sport or the Ford Bronco. Yeah, I, I'm dreaming big right now for myself. But right now, it's just a car to get me by. Yeah, makes sense. And, and, and for me, um, you know, uh, one of the one of the things that I've always wanted to do and it's kind of been a dream of mine is to be able to to, to go camping with my family and and, you know, get a get a trailer of some sort and be able to go out and explore the country. And, um, you know, in order to do that, you got to have a vehicle that can that can do the work. So, uh, you know, I was I've always been a truck guy. I've always loved trucks, I've always owned a truck. And uh, so this particular vehicle, it was the it was the right one to do the job I needed to do to be able to to kind of fill that dream and take my family out on adventures and camp and explore. See, I kind of went the other way. Um, my most recent car I bought a few years ago, uh, it's a 2015 Ford Mustang um, because my kids are grown, so I don't have to worry about extra seats in the back. I don't have to worry about a lot of storage. I just wanted something that looks cool and goes fast. Are you reading my face? Don't you have a grandbaby now? Uh, yeah. <laughs> You're not going to trade the car in? No. For another car seat kind of vehicle? No, Grandma. Oh, God, I've called <laughs> Teresa Grandma on the podcast. Oh, no. Grandma has <laughs> a forerunner. <laughs> um, grandma's got a forerunner, uh, so that'll be plenty of room. But, uh, no, I got the Mustang because I wanted something cool. I'd wanted to have a Mustang from the time I was a kid, and I finally got to a point in my life where, where I went ahead and got one, so... I only drive it, um, well, I drive it faster than I probably should sometimes, but always safely, and I'm always careful. But I love it. It's a lot of fun. Will a Mustang actually do the speed limit? Yes, sort of. <laughs> yeah, I, there's a story. The first the first night I had it, I wanted to kind of see what it was all about, and, and I found out. Yeah. So a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Though. Awesome. All right. Thank you, Jacob. Great question. And last but certainly not least, Katrina, I believe you have a question for the podcast today. Go ahead. Uh, yes. What made you want to do a podcast? Oh, that's a good question. That's a great question. Um, yeah, I kind of thought about the idea of doing a podcast because, uh, you know, I listen to podcasts. It's it's entertaining. Um, you can get something about every every possible subject that you want to learn about. And, you know, I know we have a lot of great people in our school district. And for the most part, our community and our students see us as the teacher or the principal or the vice principal. And from working in the district for so long, I know that the people that that Carrie and Eric and I all work with are just some great people that the community really needs to get to know more about them. So when we thought about the idea of what we wanted the podcast to be about, we wanted it to really be about getting to know the people that we work with as the wonderful people that they are. And so far, it's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. And for me, when uh, Chris approached me with this idea, my first uh, my first reaction, honestly, was, no, I don't want to do a podcast. But um, that's only because I knew that it was going to challenge me and push me out of my comfort zone and uh, start using my voice in a different way, which, um, you know, also I know that that's important to model that as a leader of a school to be able to try new things and venture out and and uh, be courageous and try new things. And so that was one of the reasons why I ultimately agreed to do it, because 
Um, I knew that it was going to give me that, that platform to do something different. And, and also like all the things you said, of course, getting to know people, I've learned so much about people that I've worked around for more than 10 years and thought I knew really well. Um, but it's been a lot of fun. That's probably been the best part is just getting to know people in a different way and, uh, and connecting with people in that way. Um, Katrina, these are my bosses. And so I am doing this (laughs) podcast because they are my bosses. Um, I actually didn't know I was going to be on the podcast. Originally, it was an idea to edit and support them. And then one day I found myself reading something where I was written in to uh, participate. And ever since then, (laughs) it just keeps happening. No free rides. (laughs) So I I guess, Eric, you kind of mentioned it, the things that we've learned. And this is kind of putting you guys on the spot and Hmm. me too, because I don't know that I have an answer. What's the most interesting thing we've learned about one of our colleagues just through the podcast recording? Oh, you know what? This one actually is um, wow. easy. I don't know if I should bring it up again, but you know, we recently interviewed a uh, another administrator across the district who shared some stories about when he was a teacher, and um, you know, I, I still I'm still in awe of some of those stories and how he, for lack of a better term, got away with some of the things that he shared with them. <laughs> it's like, yeah. no, wait, they didn't fire you. No, they promoted me. Right. What? That was a great line. <laughs> Anybody who truly knows me knows that I struggle to break rules or to take risk where it might be up against that little line of breaking a rule. And I definitely like to support, fix things and, and be a rule follower. And then when I say it, I mean it, but, um, I will definitely say this podcast has taught me that you can break rules and not lose your job. And so I immediately thought of the same person and a couple others from the podcast were that I would never do that. Right. I would think I would get, and, and it's not because they were wrong. It's just, well, Sometimes maybe, but <laughs> <laughs> sometimes maybe, but again, I, I think it's really interesting. The things I've learned about my colleagues is having an impact on my thoughts about, you know, what loosen up a little bit about all these rules and, 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 and think about just what's best for kids, what's best for the district, what's best for your staff, what's best for your leaders. And, and sometimes just align your values and make sure those values are in check. And, um, you know, you're good there. You can, you can advocate and fight the good fight for that if your values are aligned. So that's one of the things I've learned from listening to people tell their wild stories about some of the things I would never think to do. Yeah. And the one thing that, that kind of stuck out to me with a couple of different people that we've interviewed, and it applies to me as well, that we have parents or grandparents that were administrators uh, or teachers. So that a lot of us are second and third generation in, in the business, which I thought was really cool. I know uh, Mike Everett, his, his dad, I believe was a principal and uh, ben Skinner's dad was Principal Skinner. James Elgin. Uh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, Elgin, uh, James Elgin's mom. So, yeah, uh, so there's a lot of long line. Of, so I found that very interesting. And then on the other end of the spectrum, I just thought it was really funny and hilarious that Teresa Kallenberger once bit her teacher. Uh, I thought that was a little interesting tidbit that we got. That didn't surprise me. <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't helping with the podcast at that moment, and so I didn't know that, but now I know we have a connection. I did not bite an educator whatsoever, but I did um, bite a dentist, and I believe I tried to attack a nurse once, so maybe we should chat. <laughs> Again, not surprised. No, not at all. All right, that was a lot of fun. Uh, it's You know, we've sometimes it's easy to lose sight of the fact that we're doing this for kids, and so it's nice to keep kids at the forefront. And, and thank you three for jumping on and being a part of this with us today. We look forward to doing more of that and getting kids involved in some way. So thanks for being our special guest today. Bye, guys. No problem. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. And that brings us to the fact check for this episode. But before that, we want to announce our first Alone With Our Principles contest. That's right. We are giving away an In-N-Out Burger gift certificate. Check out our Facebook page later this week for a chance to win. 
To win, you will need to remember a specific quote you heard in this episode related to cheeseburgers. So find the post, comment on that post with the direct quote and who said it, and we will send you an In-N-Out gift card. And with that, let's kick it over to Carrie for the fact check. My goodness, I'm going to start with um, what I really don't want to share, and that is any information about the Dundee Awards. And so I went and researched that. I will not share that with anybody, what I did discover, but I will tell you that I can confirm that Chris did not not remotely steal anything from the Dundee Awards in regards to the Yodi Awards. The Yodi Awards awards are absolutely appropriate, and I'm going to leave it at that. And then the other one is Gallagher. Um, you guys were talking about Sledgematic, and the only thing I could actually find and locate about Sledgematic was a video from Merv Griffin from 1975. So I'm going to send people out to search that. There's also something from 2014, but I feel like the original might be 1975. Was yeah, Gallagher his first name or his last name? Oh, that's a great question. It was his last name. I, I for, You know what? We're, again, we always end up fact-checking the <laughs> fact-check. Gallagher was his last name, so feel free to look that up. But what I do know is that he had a brother who billed himself later on as Gallagher II, T-O-O, and was sued by original Gallagher for stealing his material. Gotta so that that was a big case. Along. Yeah, Gallagher mm-hmm. versus Gallagher. I mean, who knew that there would be a custody battle over a sledgehammer, but sure enough, there was. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Please make sure you take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe to the Alone With Our Principles podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more content, including videos, contests, and other information, you can follow us on our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, this is Carrie, and on behalf of Eric and Chris, we hope you'll remember the words of the great philosopher Ferris Bueller, who once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop to look around once in a while, you could miss it. still here? It's over. Go home.